I think now we're coming to understand that we have the right brain and the left brain. And the right brain is, is primary. I mean, it is prior to the left. It develops earlier and it feeds its poetic logic through the symbolic, dreaming, visionary world. It has a poetic logic. It feeds into the left brain. And in spite of cutting it off, severing itself from it, it still gets a lot of that, but not enough. And so the right brain has a relationship with the higher brain centers and also the heart, which we now know is the fifth brain component. It gives more frequencies to the brain that we call the brain usually than the brain gives to the heart. But the heart, with the right brain, the heart opens it's that great portal to the vastness of the universe of spirit. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Curiously Wise. I'm Lauren Wittig, your host, and I have today Betty Kovacs with me, who has been here once before to talk about her book, Merchants of Light. This time we're going to talk about her other book, and I have to say it's blown my mind. So I know this is going to be a great conversation, and it's, it's going to be deeply meaningful for anybody who's ready to hear it. So that would be any of you who are here to listen. So let me just introduce you again in case you haven't seen her in that previous video or, sorry, episode. We are coming to video this year in 2023, so I'm getting a little confused in my verbiage. <laughs> so Betty J. Kovacs, Ph.D., earned her doctorate from the University of California, Irvine in comparative literature and theory of symbolic mythic language. She taught literature, writing, and symbolic mythic language for 25 years. She served many years as chair and program chair on the board of directors of the Jung Society of Claremont in California and sits on the academic advisory board of Forever Family Foundation. Dr. Kovacs is author of Merchants of Light, The Consciousness That Is Changing the World, winner of the Nautilus Silver Book Award and the Scientific and Medical Network 2019 Book Prize, she has also written The Miracle of Death, There is Nothing But Life, and this is the book we're going to talk about today. So welcome, Betty. I'm happy to have you back. Thank you so much. All right. So tell us a little bit about how this book came to be. How The Miracle of Death came to be. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that I could start out by saying that, like many of us, I had feared death because I didn't know anything <laughs> about mm anything but matter, as scientists had told us, there's nothing but matter. That, of course, was a mistake. We know now from quantum physics that there are many dimensions of reality, the visible and the invisible. But they were, scientists were censored by the Roman church when they started the Royal Society for the Advancement of Science. They could study nothing but matter. And that's how we ended up with this horrible worldview. Of course, I had the religious story as well, but I had no experience, so I didn't know and I couldn't believe without some kind of experience or evidence. So I really, I think my life was a journey to try to discover, is there anything else? Is there only matter? And are we really just a fluke of nature with no meaning, no purpose? And when it, we're dead, we're dead? What happens to all of that love that we experienced when we're here? So it didn't make sense. So the easiest thing to do was to go to school and see if I could learn there. But there I got more of the scientific perspective. 
But then I started studying, well, I thought comparative literature is a thing to do. Study that because that's about people's lives. And then from that, I went to symbol and myth and studied myth, which is other people's spiritual traditions. And then I discovered Carl Jung. And yet I still didn't know myself. I still feared that when we're dead, we'll never see each other again. It's all over because that was the prevalent belief. And in the university, if you even suggested anything else, they considered you totally unconscious. <laughs> but I finished my doctorate. And then I, I said to my husband, you know, I am through for right now with this academic business. And I am going to go to South America with a couple of shamans and see if, any, you know, see if I can discover anything. <laughs> well, it, it, was, it was interesting. But it wasn't until I came home that I began to have visions and experiences. And in South America, I worked with the shamans with sacred medicine. And I think that also opened, what that does is, is opens up that passage to the symbolic brain and the higher brain centers in the heart. So things began to happen, but I still wasn't sure about that. And then our son, our only child, was killed in a car accident. 20 years old, and he was killed. My mother had been killed by a car one year before. And the interesting thing was when they were going to take him off the life support, it was exactly the day and the time that my mother had been killed one year before. And then two years later, my husband went to Hungary. His mother and family were still alive, and he was killed there. So all three of them were killed. So my family was gone. But when my, our son died, my husband and I began to have incredible experiences with him. And my husband had not been interested really in these kinds of things, but he very much respected me and uh, tolerated me, you might say, with respect. I have um, a husband just like that. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> Many of us do. And, but he had a vision about two weeks before Pishti was killed. And he saw the accident. He mm -hmm. saw the car on the side of the freeway. He saw Pishti's body superimposed on it. And he knew he was dead because there were two different dimensions. Mm -hmm. And then he heard himself say, oh, that's right, Pishti. It's almost time for you to do that. And then that shocked him so badly. And then Pishti said, that's right, Dad. I will be out of the house for a little while. And after that, Ishvan completely lost the consciousness of that experience. Until, and we happened, strangely, because it wasn't a usual thing at that time, both of us were in the house at the same time when the call came that he was in an accident. And again, a rather phenomenal thing was there just happened to be paramedics coming right behind him. Yeah. And if they hadn't been there and cut him out of the car, we would have gotten the message that he was dead. But instead, it was that he'd had an accident and they were in surgery at the moment. So he went to the hospital. But, and I had had two years of dreams of his death, but I interpreted symbolically. <laughs> and so anyway, after Pishti's death, Ishvan began having visions, and so did I. And we had, they were spontaneous, and then we also worked in the South American shamanic way as well with sacred medicine. And it was the most powerful time of our lives, and we were transformed by it. Then I knew that there is no 
death, that we leave the body, but we just go into another dimension of reality. And Pishti was able to, first of all, he wanted us to know that he's okay, he's alive. And he was interested in this kind of thing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and now his father was going through this massive initiation. Mm-hmm. And in fact, after the first vision, my husband sat up on the side of the bed and he said, I had no idea what you were talking about. I will never look at the earth in the same way again. And he didn't. I had a little, you might say, relapses along the way. Resistance. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I mean, a lot of that too. <laughs> I mean, the university or the just the worldview can do us in, mm-hmm. and but not with Ishtvan. I mean, he had it. He was so, and it was these were powerful visions. But he he was with Pishti, and he realized that they are twin souls. They belong to the same soul. Mm-hmm. I had had that vision when I came back from South America that they were of the same soul, and the spirit said. You thought that you chose to name Pishti, our son, the same name as Ishvan. It's the same name in Hungarian. Mm-hmm. But you could have named him nothing else. They are of the same soul. And so when I came home, I, I mentioned to my son, I thought, I'll just see what he says. He didn't even stop. He was painting. And he said, sounds about right. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'm not going to go. <laughs> and then I said to Ishvan, and he said the same thing. And I thought, What's going on here? Yeah. I mean, it didn't even, it was like in another state, you know. Mm-hmm. This is a long answer to why I wrote the book. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's the story that, that unfolds. Yeah. It um, is. And how I know, because I experienced it, that there is no death. Mm-hmm. And as I say in the cover of the book, there is nothing but life. But then Ishtwan's first vision, he experienced himself. I don't know whether he remembered that I'd ever ask him that question or not. He experienced himself as one soul with Pishti. Mm-hmm. And he, he, Pishti said, well, let's go through some of these experiences. And he would be with Pishti. Sometimes he said there were just souls all along the path. And he would see that sometimes he and Pishti were one. They were born as one person, sometimes as two. And when they were one person, Pishti didn't have to tell him what was going on. But when <laughs> they were two, then Pishti explained. You know, And it was just so powerful. And for him to, to realize that. Yeah. And, yeah. and then I had many, well, for two years, until Ishtvan was also killed in a car accident, mm-hmm. we had just powerful visions. And it just, it, it changed him. That first vision changed him. Then he became my anchor. That's what was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, there was no question. And he'd come into the study because he wasn't a reader. And he'd say, I have to make up for 50 years. What should I read next? <laughs> it was a powerful experience for us. Yeah. But Pishti would, okay, so then we knew there, there is no death. I mean, he was so clear. And he, there was an event in my life that I had never told either one of them, but it wasn't that important. How Pishti chose that event. And he told my husband in a vision. And that, I know he did it for me. He wanted me to know that, you know, that here's something, here's the kind of proof. But there were so many things. And so once we were, we knew there's no death, then he said, and now we have to look at what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And the next years are going to be very, very difficult for the earth. And we realized that many people are crossing over and they're in touch with people on this side mm-hmm. so that they can 
get through messages that our ancestors knew. Mm-hmm. But what we've not realized is that in the West, we have been severely censored from 621 BCE, when the Deuteronomist completely destroyed the mystical tradition of the first temple Jewish tradition. And then the Roman church severely censored the very experience, the experience of the other world. They were the heretics. The mystics were the heretics. Yeah. Kill them out, get rid of them, whatever. And then when science started, then they censored science that they could only study matter. It's a kind of ironic thing. The church really didn't want any business of going inward no, that we can do anything on our own. <laughs> but they didn't quite realize they're going to destroy the whole spirit world. In, yeah, in no, they, that, that would be way out of control for them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that we just don't realize how censored we are and how yeah. what our potential is. We have tremendous potential. Everything has been censored except the left brain which would be scientific knowledge or conceptual knowledge. We are so vast and have such potential, which now quantum physicists are learning. So I think, why did I write that book? It's because I'd spent my life searching for an answer about death and about meaning or purpose. And with our son's death and our over two years of being very, very much with him and powerful information visions, long visions sometimes, which I, we recorded everything as soon as we were through the vision. Smart. And I used those, those recordings to write the book so, so that the book would be accurate. And I didn't want anyone to publish it. It would try to make it bigger than it was. It was what it was. And that healed me in terms of death. I, I know. And I think that there are many people on the earth. Think of all the near-death experiencers oh, yeah. who are coming back. And yes, of course, they experience the other side. Yeah. So yeah. this is a lesson we need to know. There is no death. Life is eternal. Consciousness is eternal. And it's important what we do in each little time period we have in the physical world. Yeah. Yeah. Funny, because I've never been afraid of, of death, only of the pain of dying. Well, that's, yes, that's legit. Yeah, so I, I figured that that's probably legit. <laughs> I think it is. And, you know, I think a lot about that. I'm seeing, now that I'm old, I see a lot of old people or friends dying, and some of them just have to go through excruciating pain. Yeah. This is what I think. I think we are creators, as our ancestors told us. We are divine. We are all a part of this divine explosion of creativity. And we co-create together. I feel that when we learn how to truly be powerful creators and cooperate, as our ancestors said, with the laws of nature, that we will not destroy our air, our soil, our water, our food, and our medicine. We will know how to live by the laws of nature and how to heal ourselves, as has been done in the past, naturally, Mm -hmm. with different natural systems. And that we will not have to suffer like that when we die. I don't think that, I mean, what creator wants to do that? I think that we have to co-create together for the whole world. I do think that because people suffer. It's just, and what do they, what could possibly be valuable in that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think probably it's based on fear, like the fear of dying and you're resisting the death. And so that drags it out and creates problems because you're not just letting nature take its course. But That's my, my feeling about it. I'm an, I'm an intuitive healer. So I work with a lot of people who are in pain 
And it's almost always emotional. So why wouldn't the pain at, you know, of that process of dying be emotion-based as well? Well, I think that's true. And yet there was just the death of a woman who had spent her life working with these things. And she knew mm. that death exists. She had had her own experiences. And when she realized she was going to die, she wanted, she gave herself over to it. Yeah. And yet she couldn't die. Really? Yeah, it just kept uh, going on and on. It, near, it nearly killed her family to see her, why her, you know? Yeah. She was so willing. Oh. Don't, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know either. It's just, a, you know, the, the feeling that I have, but I don't, I don't have conscious knowledge of it. Let me well, it I think way. you're absolutely right, though, that, that the emotion and our being willing to let go plays a huge role. I do believe that. Yeah. Yeah. With both of my parents, I made sure to tell them whispering in their ears that it was okay to go. Yeah. That we would all be fine and I would see them on the other side. You know, that, that stuff. Yes. Both of them have been back to visit me since they oh, passed. So good. <laughs> so there's no question in your mind. Yeah, no, no. And that's so important because to live with that not knowing and is there any meaning at all? Mm -hmm. And we love so powerfully and and to believe that that's over forever, yeah. you know, it's just, it's so important, I think. And it, I think right now on the earth, we've got to know that. We have got to know that for what we're facing. And, and I think that so many people are going to the other side and coming back and telling us, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Know, don't worry about death itself for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, for those listening, I can recommend Anita Morjani's book about dying and coming back That's and being helpful. healed of cancer i mean yeah, miraculously yeah. miraculously healed of cancer it's it's a very powerful story and i know she's she does a lot of speaking engagements and but it's she just does she's really so powerful so. very impressive and you know anthony chen c-h-e-n-e -E, french film producer has done so many and you can get him on youtube yeah. and there are just so many stories that of people who have died in Quebec. Mm -hmm. In the UK, they don't call it near death. They say, no, it's actual death. Mm -hmm. They're a straight liner, actual death. And they have really trained psychologists to work with the patients and so on, and doctors. So I yeah. think we're learning that. I mean, but her book and Anthony Chin's film, just there was one that so impressed me. It was a, a woman who was very, very athletic, very young, very athletic. And she was in an automobile accident. Just her body was, it just almost was destroyed. Mm. And when she was, she died. And on the other side, she said, it, she was very clear to her that her body was going to be okay. And she said, I saw light beings who were doctors inside the doctors, inside the doctors who were operating mm. on me. And they were doing the operation. She said, I saw them do it. And I knew it would live. I mean, that to me is so exciting yeah. And, yeah. and inspiring, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You, yeah. We can, people can work through us and do miraculous things. Right. Of course, those doctors had to have skill. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that there is more than just the yes. physical humans. Yes. Yeah. So let me ask you a few questions from, from my reading of the book, because there's some things that I would love to hear you, you talk about. So there's a quote in there from Pishti. And it is about the jackal healers. So the quote is, the earth will be healed 
It has called the jackal healers. It is dreaming its future to itself. And I just thought that was such a powerful idea that the earth is, it's, it's everything about us right now is we have to heal the earth. And yet this is saying the earth is already working on healing it herself itself. Yes. And it had never occurred to me, you know, in some ways I, I know that she's, con there's a consciousness there. Mm -hmm. But I don't think of it that way because that's not the way, you know, our culture presents the earth. Exactly. It's this thing to be used and abused, you know. So when you read that, what did, what, what did that mean to you? What did it bring? You know, I felt that, that certainly the earth is this living conscious being and she is dreaming a dream to heal herself. Just as the body always wants to heal itself. And it's so miraculous that it, what it's able to do. But I knew also that that dream is, is flowing through us. We are also here because we are dreaming that dream too. That we, many, many on the earth are dreaming a dream to heal ourselves and the earth because we're so in partnership with the earth. Mm -hmm. And, and I, th I think that, that that is very comforting to know that many people are dreaming this dream. We are co-creating our healing through this dreaming dimension. Yes, yes. And now I was, you just reminded me as you were talking that during the early days of the pandemic, when everybody was quarantined very strictly, the earth rebounded so fast once we stopped spewing fumes and doing things that hurt her. It was shocking to me how quickly the air cleared. There were people in, you know, in, in India, I guess, who could see the Himalayas from their village for the first time in their lifetimes. <laughs> you know? So and, wonderful. And the water in Venice was clear. You could see the fish in it. And, you know, there's just all those images that came out within. A, it was only a few months, I think, since, you know, since we had gone into quarantine here in the, in the States. Yes. It those images started appearing. Exactly. I mean, the earth can bounce back, but we have to work with the laws of nature yep. to help her. Yep. And we, we're doing all kinds of things like this geoengineering, you know, controlling weather, which is denied constantly, but it's been going on since of the, after the war. And, and all of the other pollution that we know about, mm -hmm. we have to learn to, to live within the laws of nature. For our ancestors, nothing was more important then knowing the laws of Gaia, of yeah. this great earth being, and following them, living by them, because we have laws. We have laws within our own nature of how we develop and how we thwart that development. Mm -hmm. But those laws have been censored again and again in the West by those in power. And so it's hard to even begin to become conscious of them. But we are. We are becoming conscious of them of just millions of people around the world. They're dreaming with Gaia. And that's a very powerful dream. <laughs> yes. Yes, it really is. Talk to me for a minute about the jackal healers, because I know the jackal is a is a, a symbol that is very important in this story that you that you share with us in the book. Yes, it's interesting because before my son was killed, before my husband was killed, I had a vision of the jackal. Well, it was Anubis, because Anubis is the jackal as well. And I was in the Ashmolean Museum in England, <laughs> and I saw, when I went into 
the museum, one room of it, I saw Anubis, well, really the jackal, Anubis sitting at a table, and he was in a deep state of mystic meditation, of, of, a, of a vast consciousness. And so I just went over and let him do that. I went over and started looking, looking at some of the artifacts. And then suddenly he was by my right side, and he said, I can teach you all you need to know. You do not know, need to have the books. I can teach you what you need to know. And then I looked at him and I said, who are you? And then suddenly it became this vast, he said, the void, the vast. So I knew that he is, of course, an aspect of cosmic consciousness, which we are all capable of. Well, then I thought, I was just beginning to teach Egyptian mythology. I taught old European, and but I hadn't gotten to, and Celtic, but I hadn't gotten to Egyptian. So I thought, I'll look him up. Well, it was interesting because one important thing is that as the jackal, the jackal eats the decayed food and takes it in his body. And within his whole system, he transforms that decay into life. It's a powerful vision. And, but I didn't really take it in fully. <laughs> and then after Pishti died, my husband had a vision in which he, it was about the jackal too. The jackal appeared to him and also was making it clear about the decay. You take it in and within you, you can transform this into life. And then in that vision, my husband, well, Pishti then appeared and he said, Dad, Look up in the I Ching. Look up the hexagram that, starting from the top, is straight, broken, broken, straight, straight, broken. And so I said to Ishvan, how did you remember that? And he said, that's easy. It's ML. He said, you know, straight for the M, and then two slanting lines, and then straight, and then for the L, a straight line and a fallen line. And I said, well, <laughs> that's correct. He said, it's merchants of light. Is the hexagram merchants of light. And sometimes Ishvan would come up with some funny phrasing <laughs> since English was his second language. But I discovered much later that the merchants of light were appeared in various places in the world as we began to have a renaissance of this ancient understanding, this wisdom. I was so shocked that it was that the merchants of light are like an invisible college. Mm. that they come when we need them. And I think they also, because they come, they bring an energy field in which it is mm. easier for us to accomplish, accomplish working on this darkness and transforming it into light. So anyway, Ishwan said to me, we, we do have the I Ching. We hadn't used it for a long, long time. I said, yes, but I have to run into the study and get it. I got it, ran back in the bedroom where he'd been. And I looked up in the back, it has the lines. I looked up that hexagram and I turned to it and it was hexagram 18, working on what has decayed. <laughs> and we kept getting that message. Mm -hmm. Then it was kind of interesting because after they were dead and I was, I was thinking, I, I had both of those books, Miracle of Death and Merchants of Light, in me, but I didn't know exactly whether to separate them or what. But at any rate, I thought, okay, I'm going to throw the I Ching mm. and just see what, where I should go. And what do I get? Out of, what is it, 64, I got 18 work on what has decayed. <laughs> well, I think that in our time, what we're, we are living in a time when what has decayed is coming up to the surface. 
And I mean, all of this stuff. And we really we thought, oh, I didn't know it was that bad. But it has to come up for us to see it clearly. And I think it's so important for us mm -hmm. to be willing to see beyond the propaganda. Mm -hmm. I mean, the media very clearly is owned. It's owned by corporations, CIA, Big Pharma, DARPA, the military. I mean, mm -hmm. we've got to know that we're going to get their message. We have to find other ways of knowing what is truly going on. Mm -hmm. And so I, the last two, the first two years of the pandemic, I had just come back from London where we launched Mer Merchants of Light. And then this sort of started happening and I started doing the research and I thought, I seem to be, this is my destiny to work on what has decayed. Mm -hmm. It was so dark. Mm. And yet I feel that what the jackal is saying is that we must be strong enough to be willing to see the truth, not something that makes us comfortable, but to be see, to see what are the forces behind what is going on now? Mm -hmm. Who are pulling the strings? We can't get our information from the media that they own. Of mm -hmm. course, they're going to tell us what they want us to hear. And during the pandemic, everybody was censored who did not give the official pandemic. Mm -hmm. Doctors, scientists. Yeah. It just was appalling. And But anyway, so I think the jackal is saying we have to be willing and strong enough to look at it and be willing to see it for what it is before we can transform it into light. We have to know what it is. So there's a really interesting parallel to the work that I do, because when I'm working with healing, I refer to finding the blocks, the darkness, the heaviness, the things that are causing pain, revealing it, bringing it up into the light so oh, we can beautiful. see it, process it, wish it goodbye, you know, love it if we can, those kinds of things. And so it's exactly the process you're talking about, that we have to be willing to see the dark parts of our world and our cultures and, and of ourselves um, before we can bring it up into really release it into the light is kind of the way I like to think of it. To, to do what? Say that to one release it into the release light. Release it. And I thought that was the word I did. Yes, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Release it into the light because we don't know consciously how to heal it. But no, no, spirit does. Right. And, and we just have we, to be able to let go of it so spirit can uh, work on it for us. And, or, and so yes, but I a lot it. of times I'll talk about just sending it into the light to be transformed into love. And that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's because, yeah. because when you work with this darkness, I mean, I went through, oh my goodness, I thought it's all over the world. This is a, this is a global what, control, power over everything globally over our minds, and then to change us from being human, merge us with the machine. Mm. If we don't face this darkness now, we won't be humans anymore. It's, you know, I tell in Merchants of Light how there were these cultures that were shamanic, mystic cultures, but they were suppressed. And our real potential was suppressed again and again and again. And yet, now it's coming back. This is another Renaissance. In each Renaissance period, these same things came up. And so this is the fifth Renaissance. Mm. And I think now we have all of this darkness from all of those centuries of suppression and lack of full information from science. It was limited. And now we have 
quantum physics and all of the visionaries and things are really happening. I think we have to work on this darkness and release it and trust the light Mm -hmm. Uh, in this time or we won't be here to do it. Mm -hmm. This is, I think. But I think what you say is so beautiful because when I was doing this, I thought, how can we ever do it? How can we? It was just so, uh, no, no, this is not this. uh, Yes, we do ask that question. We're not the ones. I mean, we do want to know it and then ask that vaster light to take it over and heal it, Mm -hmm. that we have to trust that. You know, people say, I don't want to know that. That's too depressing. Or I've got too much. I don't think we, we might get depressed, but then we can get over it when we remember that it's this vast universe of creativity and love. We're, you know, we're part of that, but we ask, as you say so beautifully, release it into the light. Yeah. Know it and let it go. And the, the thing about knowing it, seeing it, exposing it, however you want to think of it, is there's always something we need to learn from it. Exactly. And if it's a lesson we need to learn and we let go of that piece, but we haven't learned the lesson, it's going to come right back. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> I went, I wrote a 40-page paper about what I had discovered, not for publication because there would be censorship involved. Yeah. And but I wanted it for myself and for my friends. But it was I, I ran into many other people. For instance, Nicole. I can't remember his full name now, but it was really funny because he said, "The moment I wanted to understand this darkness, I was taken on a highlight tour of my own darkness." <laughs> And I think that's true. Of course, yeah. the people who are creating the worst crimes, and they are crimes, are part of our species. We are all one apart. And one of the things of knowing the light is precisely that. In what way am I complicit? Mm-hmm. If it's even unconsciousness, even a refusal to be conscious, right. whatever it is. But we all have limitations, and it's important to see them. So, yes, I think Nicole is right. The first tour is of our own dark spots, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is pretty humbling. But I also, when the paper quoted Jung, because I think it's so beautiful, when we, I had just given the talk in in London on the pathology of Western culture, but Jung's statement, I think, is so beautiful. He said, it is the, he said, I really, I just, like, I had a method to heal this. No, it's to help people open to the numinous, to the light within themselves. Because those who experience that light within, that numinous, are released from the pathology. Mm-hmm. I just think it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something that we're taught about or even how to do in our, no. in our culture. But we're learning. I think this is a time, you know, we're learning. Yeah, we are learning. <laughs> yeah, we that's are, good. That's <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, it is. And maybe we have to go through a lot of, grief sometimes to get there (laughs) but and and looking at our own darkness can be hard but it's it's such a gift because when we release that darkness the light can come in yeah that's a great gift and it rushes in (laughs) yes yes, it it rushes in it's really beautiful when when you can do that and i've had to do some of that work i'm sure there's more to do but for me the biggest darkness to let go of was this need to be a victim oh wow so, oh, wow. Oh, but people um, do quite a few people. Oh, yeah. It's very, very common. You know, we don't we don't want to take responsibility for our own emotions. And so we blame others. And I had, I had that that went in a big way in my family. So 
I, I very I resisted a long time, but once I finally was able to forgive both myself and in this case my mother for not being the mother I needed her to be, it was a it was just a life changing moment for both of us. Oh, and now you're able to help others. Yeah, do that. Yeah, I, you know I also had very powerful experiences about people coming to the earth and taking on particular kinds of illnesses that the earth has and healing it in themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the way they work on the earth to heal. Yeah. And yeah. I haven't met anybody but like that, but I have heard that from multiple sources that there are people who, who come here specifically to do that. And okay. God bless them. Well, that may well have been you too, you know. Yeah. We often I think, don't know who we are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's right. I think that there's a lot that I bring to being a healer because I have had to do that healing work myself and understand yeah. it. And, yeah. and a lot of it came in with me because I had it from birth, you know, kind of stuff. So mm, yeah. When the and whole ancestor thing. Stuff. Yeah. 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 I've, I've yeah. And things we would never have thought about earlier. <laughs> I think when I was in high school or even college, none of what we talk about today was talked about. Yeah. You know, we have really made leaps, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction. So a lot of what's happening now is like, oh, I remember that story because somebody <laughs> yeah. dreamed that up back in the 70s. Yeah. And here, the imagination, the visionary world, I mean, yeah. they have envisioned so much of what's happening right. and what is potential. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Which actually brings me to another part of the book that I, I just jumped out at me because I... I have written six novels, so I I have oh, wow. that imagination that I can hold a whole world and multiple characters and plots and things in my head and make them up as I go along. But one of the things you said, where's the quote, was about imagination. There's this word you use. I have to see if I can read my own handwriting. Eminental, is that the right word? Eminental mind? Oh, I guess yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I couldn't figure, I've never seen the word before. But it was by somebody named Groff. He calls this experience of the immanental mind, that that mind that is something I might call all that is or great spirit, the the oneness. A non that's not the right one. Oh, it's a it's a non-ordinary state of consciousness. A major gateway to this experience is imagination. Which for me, I, I do shamanic journeying. And so I I go into that what they call non-ordinary reality mm -hmm. um, in shaman shaman speak. And Imagination does play a lot in accepting what what unfolds. Yes, yes. So, well, how talk about that that concept of imagination as a way to accept or get comfortable with this non this this these realities that have been denied us? Yes. Well, of course, you experience it and you know it. <laughs> I think that we have been thwarted in our use of the imagination because for several centuries, mm -hmm. given this dismissal of all of our brain components except the left conceptual brain, intuition, oh, that's just women's intuition. Yeah. In other words, yeah, right. Women's yeah. intuition. <laughs> Worthless. <laughs> and I think now we're coming to understand that uh, we have the right brain and the left brain. And the right brain is, is primary. I mean, it is prior to the left. It develops earlier and it feeds its poetic logic through the symbolic, dreaming, visionary world. 
It has a poetic logic. It feeds into the left brain. And in spite of cutting it off, severing itself from it, it still gets a lot of that, mm-hmm. but not enough. And so the right brain has a relationship with the higher brain centers and also the heart, which we now know is the fifth brain component. It gives more frequencies to the brain that we call the brain usually than the brain gives to the heart. But the heart, with the right brain, the heart opens. It's that great portal to the vastness of the universe of spirit. So as a creative writer, certainly you're working out of by activating this right brain, the symbolic, poetic consciousness that's connected to the higher brain centers and the heart, which is that feeling, loving heart. And that opens us to worlds that we haven't thought of before. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is the creative imagination. And we can live, should live our lives that way. You know, we can begin to see the vastness of our own lives if we allow that consciousness of the heart. The Egyptians in the highest civilization of ancient Egypt, they knew that if we cannot develop feeling, the heart feeling, that civilization cannot or evolution cannot unfold. So Mm -hmm. everything depended on this ability to allow in these frequencies or higher frequencies and create new worlds. We are capable, that we are creators, and the imagination is our creative ability. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell people a lot when I'm working with them, but just also just in conversation, just use your imagination. Just allow your imagination to show you what, what you need to be seeing, you know, what you need to see. Just don't edit it. Don't restrict okay. it. Just allow it to play. And that's when, you know, visions come in and, and symbolic information comes in and exactly yeah. feelings come in and it's just it's it's imagination is so powerful and it is so it, it's set off to the side it's secondary or tertiary or, you know, to the thinking brain the the linear brain i call it well so. and actually it's the it's it's the source mm-hmm. it's the source and so if conceptual rational consciousness ignores it and dismisses it, then it's likely to do heinous things. It mm. can think logically, <laughs> but be a monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. which we have seen. I mean, think of the rationality of of Hitler's Germany. Yeah. Very rational, conceptual, recorded everything. Well, and I remember seeing a film about a group who were rationally trying to figure out how many Jews in a month they could transport to the camps and kill. Rationally figuring that out. That is the human brain severed from the heart, which Mm. is a brain component, and from the symbolic brain. Symbolic brain, this poetic consciousness, would never let us get away with that. Because the feeling would come in. If we have feeling is a way of knowing Mm-hmm. knowing on a deep level, imagining on a deep level. And if we have cut that off, we're, we're, we're very in very serious trouble, as our world is. Yeah. And I met a doctor over at Loma Linda years ago, and he was talking about alexithemia. And I had never heard the word. And I said, well, 
what is that? He said, so many people have it. He said, it is the inability for the frequencies of the heart to even reach the brain, the left brain. Wow. And he said, this is very, very serious. That cannot, and he said to me, and it cannot be healed. And he said, there are many, many people. I was thinking they're just like a whole civilization practically. And, and we've just done horrible things, horrible things to people mm -hmm. because of alexithymia, if we want to call it that, because many people have so blocked it that they can't get in touch with the symbolic. They can't get in touch with the feeling. And so they logically can have such discussions of how many people can we kill or how many. Mm -hmm. And people are having those discussions today and in what way and how can we do that throughout the world. So I thought, you know, that's I, I do believe, however, I won't accept that it cannot be healed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to accept that. I think that it is through opening up to the symbolic feeling, imaginative vastness of the universe that we can heal it. I think it can be done. And I think that once we know what the blueprint is for our evolution and our full development, we will change our education. We will change how we think and talk about these things so that we don't cut that those frequencies off. There was already in the 1700s, one of the early symbolic theorists. Before that, they just thought of symbols as just frou-frou, you know, kind of adornment. And he was saying, no, no, wait a minute. There's something else. I think he was absolutely brilliant. He's very, very hard to read. But one of my colleagues knew about him because his brother-in-law was a great scholar of Vico, Caponigri, Robert Caponigri. And I read him <laughs> to understand Vico. But one thing that I think is just exquisitely beautiful, but absolutely important that we know, that we didn't know, and he wasn't listened to. And he says this, the left, he didn't call it left brain, he said the poetic logic of the symbolic brain is prior to and feeds into the conceptual rational brain. And there must always be a movement, constant and continuous movement between these two brain components. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a beautiful dance between the two. One must never be cut off. So it must be, a what does he say, an integrative continuum of movement mm -hmm. between the two in order for the mind to experience its own wholeness. And today we know that when you allow that symbolic brain, it's going to open up the heart for us. But he knew that. And imagine a man writing that. And in the same century, the French philosophers were saying, every brain, everything that was done before, every other aspect of the mind, now we don't need it anymore. It's truly useless. The only thing is the left brain, rational consciousness, conceptual mind, that's what's important. And oh, by the way, the West has achieved it in a superior way to any right. other. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. This really, but this along with at the same time, the censorship of science into just rationality and matter, it just it caused damage that we can't even imagine. The Western world is a result of what has been censored and forbidden and destroyed. So all, that has destroyed and thwarted our development. And we are waking up to it today. I think it, what is in McGillcrest has written in a modern terms, a full description of this function between the left and right, or the right and left brain, and even medical, in medical sense. We have you know, so much detail about this now. 
but it was known since the 1700s, but suppressed and repressed. And it's caused great damage. But it, now we think we're realizing, oh my goodness, we have this, all of these brain components and they are connected to the heart, which gives mm-hmm. tremendous frequency to, to the rest of the brain and opens us to the frequencies of higher consciousness in the universe. Yeah. Imagination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, I, I actually get a physical sensation at times of, of just this expansive energy in, in my chest. And it's always when I'm working deeply in the heart energy. So oh, that's so beautiful. And heart math, I don't mm-hmm. know. Heart math. I've heard of it. I, I haven't really delved into well, it, but I know. Well, they're it. saying what you're saying. <laughs> They've done scientific studies about it, but they have a meditation in which you place your hand on your heart, left hand on your heart, and you breathe through the heart and allow that to flow into the mind. Breathe through the heart and then it flows through all the brain component back through the heart because the heart is, is allowing the universe in. Mm-hmm. And then you meditate with that and you ask your heart a question mm. and they say, you will get an answer. Oh, yeah. Maybe not right then, but you will get it. <laughs> but that's a beautiful way of, of knowing that the heart is in contact with the universe. Yeah. Its energy is that universal cosmic Christ consciousness that you can allow to come in. Yeah. And changes yeah. us. And I've come a long way in the last probably eight or 10 years, because I had a friend who said, well, can't you feel your heart open when you do that? I'm like, no. And now it's like, all I have to do is think of it. It's just like this beautiful opening. (laughs) It's so funny because my son, we were talking about chakras one day and I said, oh, you know, PC, I don't even know for sure that they exist. I've read about them. And he said, mom, can't you you feel it? He said, they move too. You you don't. He was so shocked. I didn't realize it. I have to say I don't, (laughs) you know, but you know, we're that's okay. We're, yeah. we're waking up. We're waking all have up. Our own experience, and it's all. And the main thing is just to try to keep raising your vibe. Really, your exactly, frequency. exactly. So, all right. There's one last question that I think we have time for that I really wanted to get to because it was my major question from reading this and living in the world that we live in, and that is how do we live in the world we're currently experiencing when we know some of us know at least that it can, it can be healed. It can be beautiful. It can be peaceful. It can be light and joyful. And yet we're in this heavy, heavy times. How do we, how do we hold on to that vision when we have the, excuse my language, the shit show going on around us? Right. (laughs) And you know, it's, that's a really important question because I see so many people accepting this show (laughs) as inevitable. Well, this is life. Well, no, it doesn't have to be. And I just was reading Jude Caravan, who's a cosmologist and physicist, and she put it very beautifully when she said, we now know that we are all manifestations of the divine. We're all manifestations of, she called it the big breath rather than the big bang. Nice. Isn't that great? Oh, that's great. like, yes, and we're all part of that. How come we can't be different? We're all part of it. We are divine uh-huh. and we're all part of it. And she says, and we are all co-creators within it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just so important that we realize we have this illness, this mental path- this pathology that makes us think it's inevitable or that we see it is indeed very dark, mm-hmm. that there's a tremendous pathology of criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. It's that when we look at it, it's it's almost like you, 
how could that be? How yeah. could someone think? And you know, it can never be healed. You know, it can never mm -hmm. be healed. Is it? It's an, well, it can be healed. And so how do we convince anyone that it can be healed? I, I think it's like convincing someone that the darkness is there when they don't see it. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think that by manifesting it in our own lives to the degree that we can, that mm -hmm. that is the best proof. And mm -hmm. people are doing that all over the planet. Yeah. Like you're healing. People mm -hmm. become conscious then. Mm -hmm. I brought this darkness up. These blocks, I, I, I was able to face them. I could face that in me. And then I could let it go. And then the miracles happen. Yeah. yeah. Knowing it, letting it go, and then allowing the light to heal it. So I think it's in the work that each of us does. And I, I know that people all over the earth are doing this. It's interesting because I had... A bit, the first vision I had after Pishi's death was this Native American chanting. And then I saw in the vision people from all over. I thought the universe, maybe it was just the galaxy, but I thought the universe. I saw them coming in a great spiral mm. onto the earth and they were being born all over the planet. And they had come because the earth, we had called them. We were now open for that light to come. Yeah, And they were all creating and helping in this healing. And then I read, oh, several years later, Cota Robles, I don't remember her, Patricia Cota Robles, her son, when he was a little boy, uh, and she's done miraculous things, came into her and he said, oh, mommy, you know, we don't need to worry about the earth because I saw thousands and thousands of souls circling around and being born all over the earth. And they have come to help us. And so I thought, you know, are they ourselves, our future selves? Mm -hmm. Who knows? I think we, or they are loving souls or both. And I think that when we do what you do in your healing, those people then know. Yeah. And I think that's the, I think that, and we think, well, you know, we can think in the old American way, but I'm just a person. I can't, I want yeah. to do most little on me. <laughs> yeah, little old me. But there are so many little old me's. And that's the whole point of co-creating is that we don't get heal the planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't. One person doesn't heal the planet. Is it by working together? We are connected in in a profound way to every one of those healers on the earth. And all together we're powerful. Singularly, less so, but still important and powerful. But yeah. when we co-create, we do it. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening now. We are co-creating yeah. with beings here and beings on the earth who are coming and being born here and beings who are in spirit. Yes. Yeah. That's the and I work a lot life. with what I call the spirit guides. So Yes, yeah. exactly. That there are those light beings who are not in the physical world. Mm -hmm. but are, And I think the merchants of light revealed, they are invisible college working from the other side. Yeah. But now they have brought, because we've called it, a very powerful energy field that has a higher frequency so such people can be born on the planet. Right. And so we can create more easily because yes. our longing, I think people think oh, we've really done nothing, but they've loved and they've brought up a family and they loved deeply and they grieved. And that longing is the frequency that pulls the light to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So deeply longing. That's a creative act to yeah. long for for love and meaning and purpose, how many people on the earth are longing for that? 
Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. It does. It has there. It's a, a network. Like I see it kind of almost like a web of people connected, but it's also like a, a, a pond when you throw a rock in and everything you do ripples out and others receive it. Exactly. And if they take it in and open from it, then that kind of strengthens it and and, and cur- continues the ripple. And yeah. that was a, exactly the image that my son used with my husband. He said, Dad, think of it as, as a rock thrown into a pond. It continues. One picks yeah. it up. Yeah, it's, it's Small things are very powerful. And in the Merchants of Light, I talk about the sun, the Bushmen in Africa and the Kalahari Desert. And their image of God was mantis. The mantis, the, the power of the infinitely small. Mm-hmm. I think that's so powerful for us in the West to think not big, huge, large, the best. No, in just the smallest act of love, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. things can be healed. One of, my, one of my favorite little things to do that is part of helping other people heal is smiling at people. True. Because now, if, if you have the mask, that was a horrible. Well, you know, but you can smile with your eyes too. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> what I really learned to do that. But of course, only in doctor's offices now do we have to, but right. no, that was a that was a great detriment to people. But you're right. 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 It's small well, acts of kindness. Just a little. Yeah. It yeah. just means holding the door for somebody or yeah. helping them, you know, an, an elder with their bags to the, the carts. Th- uh-huh. You know, little things mean a lot. They do. They do. It, was, it reminds me of Kim with someone she knew. And she's just so, she's 86, I think, or mm-hmm. nine. I don't know. And she's just the independent zone, but she has very little money, but she doesn't ever say anything about it. But Kim sent her money. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, $25 is a million dollars to me. Mm-hmm. And, and she really lived as though it was. She told her what she bought. And mm-hmm. I just think, you know, gratitude is yeah. healing. Gratitude is very cool. Yeah. yeah. To do for others and then the gratitude they have and the gratitude we have. I mean, no matter what has happened to me, I have been so grateful for everything. You know, I've often thought, yes, all three of my family were killed in car accidents, but they died quickly mm-hmm. and a good, clean death, you might say. Yeah. Yeah. I could have had all three of them with brain damage and wheelchairs, mm-hmm. not being able to live life. I am so grateful that they had a good death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just so many. And the worst thing, there is a, there is a gift mm-hmm. always. Well, it's, yeah, it's like releasing the darkness within. Is there, there's something you can gain from it. You know, there's something you can learn, something you can understand better, you know. And be um, healed. And be healed. Feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Go out and spread more light for pe- other people. So, yeah, there's always, I mean, this is, it's kind of like being in a never ending university, you know, to be a human. No, it, it, it's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what we are. And we don't just dry up when we get old and do nothing. And I have seen people do that. It's like, it's the end of life, it's the end of everything. And I'm sad and I'm depressed and everything, nothing good is happening. No, we have to, if I try to tell myself, if it seems empty, then that's a space in which I can create something. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. That's there for me to create something. And so we have to change our views about old age, about growing old. It mm-hmm. it's, should be an 
it should be an art. And yes. <laughs> oh, I love that word. Yes. The art yes. of growing old. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, it's another one that I don't, I don't fear, but I would like to age gracefully. You know, I would like to do that too. Yeah. And I'm working on it now. I, next week I'll be 86. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I am. I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm, I am shocked. I never would have guessed. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, thank you. That's a good comment. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for health and so many things. But I'm learning now a, a little bit different way of life. My sight is not as good, so I will not renew my license on my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I have to learn to live in a different way, plan differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay. I want to learn how to accept it gracefully. That's know? so great. That's that's one of those things, too, that I know every every adult in my life who has grown old, I mean, into well into their 80s, has been unwilling to give up driving. Yeah. Even when all the kids were saying, not yeah. safe anymore. <laughs> that's what happened to many of my friends. And I said to Kim, you know, I am not going to be that person. I'm going to know when it's time. And I definitely know because I think also I'm, you know, it was so out, we all are out in the physical world so much when we're younger. And now so much of it is more inward and here and writing. Or, and I kind of letting go of my maneuvering in that world. And that's okay. Yeah. I think it's just a different, it's not everything. It's something I've loved it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now I can have a different way. But I didn't want, oh, I did not want to hurt anybody, yeah. you know? And so I thought, nope, I've got to know myself when it's time. Mm-hmm. And so it is time. <laughs> and I'm so okay that's, with yeah, it. Yeah. That's a beautiful example of aging gracefully. It's just, oh, I, yeah, I hope, I hope yeah. I do it gracefully. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's wonderful. I'm, I'm in my 60s. And so I'm, I'm beginning to, you know, sort of think about the next 20, 30 years, maybe. 40. Yes. And <laughs> you have that probably. And, the 60s are a wonderful time to be alive. I, I can remember when I turned 30 thinking it was over. Oh, I, I, <laughs> and I have to, I mean, now I look back and I see how young the 60s are, you know. Good, but good. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and if we keep healthy mentally, physically, spiritually. Intellectually, too. Just keep oh, the brain absolutely. curious. Keep it working. Yeah, keep <laughs> yes. it working. Just stay mm-hmm. curious. That's That's my, you know, my website or my podcast is curiously wise because i think that's true yeah the more curious you are the more wisdom you gain <laughs> oh it's so true that's beautiful yes thanks for bringing that up i didn't think about it but absolutely and and that's what i was trying to say with people who are growing old they give that up mm-hmm. and then there's we cannot give that up that's who we are yeah. you know we're going to live in different ways that that the body requires at different times mm-hmm. but we keep living and being curiously wise yeah, yeah. and and then it just makes life beautiful yeah all right well this has been just a fabulous conversation we didn't even get everything i wanted to talk about but (laughs) i loved it too (laughs) yeah so i just i want to i want to really thank you for being here with me betty and sharing your stories both of your books with me they have changed my life in some beautiful ways opened my mind strengthened my heart and so uh, i'm grateful for that oh i'm grateful to hear that thank you All right, friends, thank you for joining us for another great conversation here at Curiously Wise. I hope that you will join us again next week. Every Tuesday, we bring a new podcast out. And if this is 2023, you can find us on, it is 2023. What am I saying? It's already January. (laughs) Just barely. (laughs) Now that it's 2023, you'll be able to find us on YouTube as well. Have a wonderful day. Stay curious.
Thank you so much for joining us today on Curiously Wise. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future fabulous conversations. And if you had any ahas, please share them in a review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to pay forward the unique wisdom we all have. If you want to know more about me or my intuitive energy healing practice, Heartlight Wellness, please head over to my website, www.heartlightjoy.com. Curiously Wise is a team effort. I am grateful for the skill and enthusiasm Arlene Membrot, our producer, and Sam Wittig, our audio engineer, bring to this collaboration. Our music is Where the Light Is by Lemon Music Studio. I'm Lauren Wittig. Please join me again next week for another episode of Curiously Wise. From my heart to yours, may your life be filled with love, light, joy, and of course, curiosity.